Welcome to the next episode of Barry's Garage. And I'm really excited for the conversation today with Dr. Randy Cohen, Director of Sports Medicine at University of Arizona uh, for the athletic program there. Randy, thanks for joining us, buddy. That's great to be here. Thanks for having me join you in your uh, virtual garage. I appreciate that, man. And and I think you know, um, I think you know already why uh, Barry's Garage, right? But you know, a lot of the great companies that we're aware of, Nike, Google, Apple, um, you know, you go down Microsoft, you go down the whole list, all start in the garage. And you know, as you know, Randy, already, Tracer's no different. Um, and so that's where we came up with the Barry's Garage. But um, Randy, do, do us a favor and just give us a little bit of background and history about, you know, sort of your your uh, background in sports and sports medicine and, and how you got to where you're at today. Sure. Yeah, I've been in college athletics for 30 years now. Um, I started out, uh, I um, did my undergrad at uh, Purdue University, and then I did a, did a year at Notre Dame, spent a year at Notre Dame. Uh, I went to physical therapy school, uh, then I went back on staff at Purdue and was at Purdue for, for eight years on staff there, and, um, and I just finished my 20th uh, season, um, you know, football season, covering football at the uh, University of Arizona, so I've been, uh, that's, it's kind of my background of kind of where I've been in my career. I've been a lot of places, but um, places I've been to, I've, I've stayed a while. So, so, you know, you're, you're both an AT as well as a PT, Randy, like where, what do you feel like you utilize more in regards to a specialty, right? Either physical therapy or athletic training. What do you feel like you use more on a day in a day out basis with your athletes? You know, I don't think you can split it up. And I think you if you look at anybody who's had any education, um, ed, the base education gives you the base knowledge to start your thought process and start learning. Um, and, and, and it doesn't really, it's really even so in kind of some of these areas, it doesn't always necessarily matter, um, you know, what, what credential you have, honestly. It has a lot to do with um, who your mentors were, you know, what they taught you, the way they taught you to think, which is probably more important than what they taught you learning from people about how, you know, how, how do you, how do you, how do you think, you know, to start to learn? How do you, are you, how are you a lifelong learner? Are you a lifelong learner? Um, and you learn that from your mentors. And I think that's a, an important thing to, to talk about is, you know, you know, you always have to, you know, you know, base what you learned on the way you were taught. Yeah. And I've, and I've been blessed with numerous, you know, great mentors along the way that really kind of taught me to think in a certain way, um, you know, and, you know, I had, you know, you know, mentors along my athletic training way who taught me, you know, how to work, how to work ethic, how to deal with people, how to deal with um, stressful situations without getting, you know, with, 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 you know, keeping composure and keeping your, you know, keep cutting your thought process and how you work through emergency situations and things and, and those na nature things like that. Um, how to manage people who are in bad places, you know, um, struggling because of injury or because of, you know, career ending things or because of just short term things that they think are, you know, going to be worse than they actually are. Sure. Um, and how to deal with the kind of the overall athlete, because when you deal with an overall athlete, unfortunately, in, in, in high level sports, you're not just dealing with the athlete, you're dealing with the athlete, you're dealing with their parents. You're dealing with coaches, you're dealing with administrators, you're dealing with other professionals who work with them, strength and conditioning specialists and massage therapists and, 
and you know, um, you know, all kinds of different people who have to help manage that athlete be the best athlete they can be. So you're not just dealing with them. So and then when yeah. so when you talk about that, you know, I believe, um, and I, I don't know if you have this feeling or not, but I believe we all have innate needs as human beings, and, and everybody's ranks their innate needs a little differently, right? You have love and connection, you have significance, you have growth and contribution. To me, growth, um, if you're not growing, you're dying, right? <laughs> Literally. Uh, if you're not giving back to this world, what are we doing on this planet as individuals or as human beings? I have a huge uh, just guttural feel that I need to continue to grow and I need to continue to contribute back because of how blessed I've been uh, throughout my life. Who are some of those, are there particular mentors that stand out to you, one or two maybe, that really just uh, pop that say, hey, this, these guys set me up for success or these women set me up for success? No, sure, for sure. Um, you know, in my in my undergraduate and then, um, you know, working, I you know, worked with, with Denny Miller, who was a, a longtime athletic trainer at Purdue University. And, um, and Denny really taught me you know, it really, you really taught me it really how to, how to, how to treat and deal with people and manage people and watch to manage people. He hadn't, he hadn't, you know, an incredible innate ability to um, be able to calm people in any situation, to manage people in, in any situation and meet them where they're at, which was really, which was really important because, because one thing you, you have to learn when you're doing what we do um, and I think this is with working with high level athletes, you have to understand that it, 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 you know, even, even, I think even young coaches struggle this and, 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 and other professionals, it's not, it's not about you because it's about them, right? It's right. about you helping them get to where they want to go. You right. know, it's, you know, you didn't, you don't do it. You help them get to where they want to go, but they have to do the work. They have to go there. They have to do it. It can't be you. You and you're not doing it. Even 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 working with them. If you, if you as a professional is working with with any person to try to help them be successful, if you're putting in more effort than they are, you'll be you'll be you'll you'll fail. They have to put in the effort, and you can match that effort. And you can work as hard as them, but you can't work harder than them because you you it will, you won't be successful. So and so you have to meet people where they're at. Was he a big a personal accountability guy, Randy? And just you provide leadership guidance, but they have to take the accountability themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And people yeah. have to do it. That's what people have to do. They have to they have to take accountability, and they have to decide that they want to do it. Um, because there is there is never a there is never a great athlete or a patient who was who was who had a problem and got incredibly you know incredibly healthy it got back to where they were or competed at the top athletic ability where they went who who they didn't want to do it they didn't want you know it. and yeah. you see unfortunately you see that in youth athletics now you see some youth athletes who are very successful and can you know can compete really well and 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 win when they're young even though they very much dislike doing it and don't want to do it because they're being pushed by their parents but that doesn't last very long yeah, right. you know that your that success that 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 uh, flame burns out very very quickly. You a person has to want to do it themselves. They have to have the desire to do it, and want to do it, and they have to have that internal drive to want to do it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and so that you know, Denny Miller was that way for me. Another mentor I had was was a, was a guy named Jules Rothstein, and and Jules was probably he was one of the most, the most intelligent you know 
you know, genius people I've ever met in my life. And he was at the time, he was the editor of the, the American Physical Therapy Association Journal. And he was, he was, he, he wrote all kinds of standards for physical therapy. And the thing Jules, Jules taught me, Dr. Rothstein taught me was question everything. Don't ever take anything as this is the way you do it or you should do it. Everything needs to be questioned. And how you question is not say, oh, you question it, you're wrong about it. But it was, you, you ask people, wow, okay, that's what you believe or you do. Okay, tell me why you do it that way. Tell me why you believe it. Convince me that that's right. Give me the data. Show me the background. Show me, show me where you're basing that on because I want you to convince me. And Barry, you and I have conversations like that all the time. I listen to people. Every subject, yeah. Yeah, I listen to people with the intent. I don't want to tell you what I know to convince you that you're wrong or you should do it the way I want. I want you to convince me why you're doing it that way. And then if I have a different opinion, I'll give you a different opinion, but I'll tell you why I believe that's the right thing for you to do to educate you. So then you can make that ultimate decision. Like we mentioned before, you have to decide to do something. I can't convince you. I can't tell you. And if you have somebody who's just going to follow whatever you do and just say, I'm just going to follow you and, and, and I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to question anything. And I'm, those people aren't going to be successful, right? No. Those people are true followers. And, 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 and that's that, that those people are actually the people you need to get scared about, right? Those are the people who are become, you know, you'll be, I'm just going to do anything they say, because this person obviously is right. I'm going to follow and do everything they say. That's where you're going to, that's, those are, those fanatics are the ones you got to really worry about um, you know, in life in general. It took so. me years since I've known you, buddy, to realize that when I'm having conversations with you about, with you about any subject doesn't have to be medicine based or sports medicine based doesn't have to be politically based. it doesn't matter what subject we're talking about i was like god he's kind of just an ass and i'm gonna be honest because you always push back you're always questioning and then i realized well what wow randy actually agrees with me but you're you're questioning for a very good reason right you want to know what my philosophy is why i think the way i do and then you can actually provide better feedback in my opinion randy based on that can't you Oh, then that's that's way I look at it because you, it, because if somebody believes something or does something, but their basis of why they do it is flawed, yeah, right. Then what ends up happening is they interpret other things the same way, and then and they may and they may not do the right thing the next time because right. they're the reason the backing why they decided to do something is actually flawed. So if you can show somebody, yeah, yeah, it's not a bad way of doing it. You're doing it wrong, but you think about this is this is why you should be doing it that way then they understand, hey, maybe a different way to think about it. So when they make the next decision, sure. okay, yeah. the next decision is actually maybe puts them in a better place versus they made the next decision or to make the next thing they do is it actually puts them, sets them up for failure. So it's, 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 it's never the, it's never what to do. It's why you do it. Why you right? do it. It's more important why you do something to understand why you do it. And, and that by far is the most important thing you can do. And then if you understand why, you can then make changes when, when things change around it. Right. And versus if you just say, I'm supposed to do this, you don't have the ability to make that change because you're just doing what you think is supposed to be done in that situation or wherever you're at. And, exactly. and that's how medicine is. And, and it goes back to the four sources of knowledge, right? The four sources of knowledge from a, a, Pierce, a philosopher uh, Pierce in the early in the in the late 1800s, he talked about every, all every, all information comes from four sources. 
Yeah. And the, the first one, the, the, the first one, the strongest one is science. So science has shown something. Science doesn't prove anything. Science shows because even science changes over time when you get technology changes and things. Right. Okay. The, the, um, the, the next one is, is, you know, is, a, is a priori means with all the information you currently have, it's logical. That's what you should do. Yeah. Right. And we look at things logical for years. You look at later on when, when, when your information science changes, the logic changes. I, I, I mean, there's great examples of that. You know, back in, back in the 1960s, they would say, if you have colon problems and stomach problems, you need to eat a soft diet. Right. Because soft yeah. food doesn't make your colon work more. Well, no, you need roughage. Fiber is, yeah, uh, right. Yeah, fiber. It's the same so thing with sugar the, versus yeah. fat back in the 70s, 80s, and even into today. I mean, it, yeah. we told people to eat sugar, not fat. And I think it's the reverse now, isn't it? We yeah, understand yeah. it goes to your biochemistry yeah. and to your, you know, blood yeah. sugar. Yep, we're looking at we're looking at a lot of things like that are different now. You used to take somebody after ACL reconstruction in the 1980s and you would cast them in 20 degrees extension for six weeks, 20 degrees of flexion for six weeks because right. you wanted the scar to grab down. Now you, you think that that's a crazy thing to do, but, the, but it was logical because you didn't want the graft to loosen up and it took six weeks for bone to heal. So the bone plug would heal in six weeks. Then your graft is nice and where it's supposed to be and it, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't loosen up your graft. That's incredibly logical. Yeah. It's wrong. It's wrong. <laughs> you know, it's completely yeah. wrong, but it's logical, right? And so and we, we, we've changed all kinds of things in medicine. We've changed all kinds of things in life with that. So that's a priority. priority. The, third, the third source of knowledge is authority. So an authority figure tells you, hey, this is what you should do. Okay, a book is an authority. You have a bunch of books behind you. I know this is a, this is a podcast, but I'm, I'm watching you on a, a Zoom meeting right now. And, and you have a whole bunch of books behind you. All of those are authority. An authority has written those books. And you read them and say, wow, this is great. This is information. I'm going to take this. Well, that's an authority and there's nothing wrong with that but you have to know that's not strong that's not as strong and then the fourth source of knowledge is tenacity and tenacity is by far the worst and we got to be careful with tenacity because tenacity is we've always done it that way so obviously it's right yeah right it's uh, always been that way yeah. so it's right and the longer something's done the more it ingrains it's the right thing to do and people become i can't change that and we got to know that where this where this information of tenacity comes from, because if we continue to follow that, that's a bad place to go. Now, with those are pretty Pierce's four sources of knowledge. Now, I've added a fifth one, so I guess I'm a philosopher what too. The philosophy, of Randy. This is the point you're yeah. you're on, Randy. <laughs> yeah. so, so my first my 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 Randy the fifth source of knowledge is experience. <laughs> so you should learn from your own experiences. And yep. you should keep track of your experiences. So in medicine, every every case we look at is a is a is of n of one, and you need to continue to do things, make it an n of two, of n of three, n of four. So then you base your information based on things that you've experienced, right? And and you then you continue to look at, and you continue to do things in that way, and then you've learned, and then that's gets a Norse knowledge. Hey, I've done this a bunch of times, and I've this is my outcome. It's been successful. That's why I do it. So um, where does that fall within the hierarchy of what you just outlined in the first four, from your perspective? To me, it's, you know, I think it's, 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 I think it's probably right. I, I think it's even more than an authority, because actually most yeah. authorities have probably written the things they write on their experience. Right. In my experience, I found this. Yeah, sure. So I think it's, I think it's, I think it's actually probably a little above authority and probably right at a priority. So right at logical, but, yeah, in, sure. but, but in the future of medicine, 
the future of medicine is is going to be is going to be all it, it, we don't even necessarily need to do do research studies the future the future of medicine is data mining of big data and once we get to a point where we have medical records that all link together and they follow you through life we are going to be answering so many more questions in medicine by ai it's not going to be it's data mining with artificial intelligence because what we're going to have is we're going to have the ability to, to AI figures out the question, or we say, hey, you'll figure out a question, who really is at the highest risk for colon cancer, okay? Right. Yep. You will then be able to take, you'll go, AI can actually go through data of, of, of 100,000 people across the world who have colon cancer and figure out, you know, statistically speaking, what truly is, who, who's at a higher risk. Yep. And with, with big, huge numbers, just by data mining, and that's going to be the future. And actually, we're getting as a as a country, you know, you know, America, we're getting left behind with that. China's doing a lot of this right now, right. and the main reason is is um, you know is medical confidentiality. There isn't medical. There isn't confidentiality in China, right? Your exactly. your records are owned by the by the government, by the state, and they can do that now. And they're doing that now with business. They're doing that now with medicine. And they're they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna change they're actually gonna probably change the world by data mining using using AI in the future. But that's all medicine's gonna be in the future. Randy, so. one of my biggest struggles has been over the last decade, let's say or more, is the um, lack of uh, attention that a doctor can give to a patient. And I've talked to numerous doctors. I was at uh, at Mayo Clinic with sixteen cardiologists. <laughs> couple years ago and I was with the chairman of cardiology there and he said very lucky pulled me aside he said previously to the new regulations and the new documentation needs and regular you know uh, logistics around that I could spend 80 80 percent of my time with a patient uh and 20 percent of my time was spent documenting right and he goes, that's literally reversed. So now that I'm spending at least 80% of my time documenting and 20% with the patient, do you think that that data mining and that big data and the ability to correlate that data into actionable insights for a clinician is going to open up their time to actually have more time with that patient and to be more of what they, I think most doctors wanted to do is provide more uh, communication and understanding and, and build the trust with their patient. And what do you think? Is that going to help them? Or do you think it's, uh, you think it's going to alleviate the need for that even? No, I think it's, I think it has the opportunity to completely change that. So you can actually provide patient care. Right. And here's why, and here's what you're going to, here's what the future is, is, is something is going to be similar to look at, right? You're going to be able to go in and as a patient, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be asked questions before I even go into the office, and right. it's all gonna be and I'm gonna give information. So I'm gonna have trackers on me that tell my blood pressure, my 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 temperature, my heart rate. I'm gonna have these trackers that, that hook in. All that, yeah, right. All that, right? EKGs, all that's gonna be there. All that's gonna be put into a system before I'm even going in to see the doctor. Then there's gonna be algorithms that are gonna be created by AI. That's gonna you're gonna you're gonna go in and put your symptoms, how long they've lasted, what they are, all these other things, and your your system is going to say, from the from what your information you're giving me before you even go in and see the doctor, we need to get this done, we need this test done, we need this done. 
you can, you, you're going to go get that stuff done before you spend time with the doctor. Then when you that, then, then the system is going to be able to kick out. These are the possibility of diagnosis that the person has. Right. So then when you, then the doctor is going to look at that and take that information in, then you're going to walk into the office, Barry, and he's not going to be, he's not going to have to sit there and, and ask you questions of, okay, so tell me, um, does your mom have any history of heart disease? Right. Tell me that, tell me your, tell me your father's history of this. Tell me, sure. and, or he's not going to have to look at the chart and kind of review that. Do you have family history of this? He's not going to have to ask you, well, what are your, what are your lab results? Okay. How does that compare to your last lab results? Because that information will really be tallied by AI, by a, by a system. So he's going to be able to treat you. So he's going to walk in and say, Barry, tell me, you know, give me, he's going to maybe say, I didn't get really these good questions. Tell me, Barry, actually, how, you know, how many, you know, how, how often are you, how often are you exercising? What are you doing in this portion of your lifestyle? So tell me what you're doing here. Okay. So tell me, so when you have that problem, exactly when does it occur and how does it occur? Okay. 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 This is what I think with this. Okay. This is what we're going to start to do to treat you. So they're not going to have to process all that information early because it's already going to be done. He's not going to get to you and say, okay, well, uh, yeah, I need to, oh, we need to get an MRI Barry. Yep. I'd look at your knee for 10 seconds. Oh, let's go get an MRI. He's going to have the MRI done. It's going to be done already. He's going to walk in and say, let me explain to you. Let me look at you. Let me, now let me look at you. I have all this other information right. and I'm going to sit down and treat you as a patient. Right. And you can actually spend that one-on-one time with you and build that relationship and actually dive into some of the more subjective type questions with that patient, couldn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so let me ask you this. So we, so I'm a, I'm a believer. So we have five core vital signs, Randy, and you know, those five core vital signs, you just rattled off several of them already. Um, So we go in when every time and you were an athlete, I was an athlete or, you know, a pretend athlete, let's say, but when I walk into a, a sports physical or a physical, a lot of times it's, it's disappointing, Randy. And I, I drive two and a half hours. And, and by the way, Cleveland Clinic and UH and great hospital systems from my backyard. But I purposely drive two and a half hours to see an ex uh, you know, major league doctor who really takes the time to spend with me. Right. And, and you pay for it. But it, I feel like it's well worth it. But when we're looking at these um, these vital signs, None of these docs look at your physicality from what I can tell, right? Other than, you know, certain things. They don't look at your, like your ankle, knee, hip, you know, shoulders, et cetera, your physicality or and any pain associated with that, general practitioner wise. And they don't look at your brain health. And so we've talked a great deal, Randy, at Tracer here about creating a sixth vital sign, which is that brain body component, right? That neuromechanical component, that connection how what's your brain health like what's your musculoskeletal or your motor function like and to me when I get out of bed in the morning Randy I don't feel my blood pressure being high buddy I don't feel that I don't feel my uh, respiratory rate being off I don't I don't feel the other vital signs even though they're critical and we all know they're truly vital but do you see a place for again to your point if we were able to track all these things uh, from the time somebody's five to 105 and then look at, at the same time in 90 seconds or, or three minutes, look at what their brain function looks like and their physicality or their motor function looks like, and add that as a sixth vital sign to this, you know, the existing five, and then track that throughout your lifetime. Because I, I believe, and I don't know if, if you feel the same way, Randy, but 
that movement degradations throughout life are potential indicators of disease, for example, right? And so if you start having movement degradations in your 60s or 70s, is that a sign of uh, Alzheimer's or dementia or Parkinson's or ALS, any of those types of diseases? What do you think about uh, the premise of, of covering that base or that sixth vital sign within the healthcare system as we move forward? Whether it's the trades or anybody else, doesn't matter, but you think that makes sense to look at above and beyond the current five or no? No, I, I think that's, yeah, I think that's the, the, the basically the most important thing to look at, right? Because, yeah. because ultimately how we interact with our world is the most important thing that's going on. Right. How we interact with it physically, how we interact with it cognitively, how we process information, how we react with it emotionally. Yeah. And all of those have a have an impact on you know the way our, our brain and our body process together. Right. So th that by far is the most important thing. And I think it's not going to be you're going to find degradation starting when you're 60 or 50 or 60 or 70. I think you're going to be able to start to be able to see, okay, who's going to have who's going to have higher risk for some chronic disease or chronic issues. I think you're going to be able to, you'll be able to find the people in their twenties and thirties, you know, yeah, I think you're going to be, I think you'll be able to, you'll be able to pinpoint those things early on and you'll be able to work them early on because part of the, you know, you know, the, the, the question to ask about some of these chronic diseases are, can we strengthen systems? Yeah. So even if you have, you have a predisposing factor. It, you, know, you have the genetic makeup, and and it's 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 a pretty high genetic risk factor to having something like an Alzheimer's. Right. Um, but even people who have those genetic factors, all those people don't get Alzheimer's. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So can we figure out what are the tools we can use yeah. to prevent people? And big data is probably going to tell us that eventually, right? Oh, You're going to find out if you have huge data pools of people the whole life that you've tracked them. You're going to say, okay, you know, what are the risk? What are the true risk factors, or what are the things that preventive things for the people who develop Alzheimer's, or they don't develop until their 80s, and, and right. you know, they have to they'll have to push it way later in their life. And you're going to be able to see, well, it's people who've done, you know, who have this, this, th these nutrition habits, these yeah. physical habits, right. or these they avoided these things, exactly. or they did these things, or, did these or things. Sure. whatever it is. Yep. You know, you're, with big data, we'll tell you that, and then you can turn around and have and have implementation of things implementing to to hopefully, you the know, get, target target people yeah, specifically right. target people. Well, and I love the idea, Randy, of of targeting it from the time you're five or six or seven or eight, so that you can start to see that when they're twenty five or thirty. And I, I think a lot of it, you know, of course, genetics play a role. But I'm also a big fan of epidemiology, um, you know, or epigenetics, I should say, um, the, the ability to change the gene expression through the habits that you have, right? So if you have if you have poor habits, I think we're going to see that to your point in big data, aren't we? If you and, and what it's going to do to your risk factors around maybe ALS, MS, dementia, Alzheimer's, etc. Certainly, type two diabetes is an easy example, isn't it? So yeah, that's, that's an easy example of what risk factors we know will lead lack of exercise and a high sugar diet. You're going to likely get type two diabetes or, or a higher, much higher risk. Aren't you? Yeah, sure. And, 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 
what we'll really know truly what those risk factors are and what those what those negative behaviors are because the truth is is we think we know what they are but you know we may be doing negative behaviors again it's 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 where are we at? It's logical, right? I mean, it was logical in the 1920s that said, hey, if you have asthma, you should probably smoke because the, 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 um, the smoke going into your lungs calms down your lungs and makes your lungs better for asthma, right? That was actually pushed and people believe that in the, 19, in the 1920s and 30s. Smoking will help, right? Well, your lungs, right? Yeah, improves lung function. Yeah, lung function. So, yeah, yeah. so now you brought and, up asthma, Randy. Um, or do you have you want to keep going? Go ahead. No, no, no go ahead. No, no, ahead. I was just saying, now you brought up asthma, though. Um, you know, Craig, Craig was kind enough to to you know distribute some questions, and he he said, you know, Randy, tell us some of your uh, tell us some of your uh, adventures at Mount Lemon and um, El pa El Pablo or Pueblo in regards to mountain biking, right? And um, I remember you. Barry, it's not your asthma, it's you're out of shape. And I'll say that, you said it in a little different way, didn't you, Randy? <laughs> yeah, no, I did. You know, I'm, yeah, Barry, yeah. My, I'm my inhaler. And you you were right, though. It's, it was a lack of physiological shape, or conditioning, I should say, that was killing me trying to keep up with you, even though you're about twice my age, man. Uh, <laughs> another, one, another one, guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, Randy, we learned from you that um, buying an oxygen bottle at the bottom of the ski mountain to handle your, uh, what was it, the altitude sickness? That's true. Is, uh, that there's a lot better ways to get oxygen. Including Randy blowing in my mouth. Yes, I said, yeah, you could have given me the, give, give me the $12 you paid for the, for the a can of oxygen and I would have just blown your mouth for the 12 bucks. You know, it would have been hard. And it was yeah. actually, you know, on a, so on a serious note, it was actually fifteen dollars. Number one, okay. Okay. Uh, and, and for anybody listening, uh, audience, never fall Randy down a cliff on a snowboard, mountain bike, or skis. Not a good idea. You're gonna get hurt or sick every time. But why? So why? Why don't you um, explain the physiology though around that? Because I'm I'm still curious, Randy. Why would not that pure oxygen help to alleviate symptoms or to generate oxygen into your system at a, at a higher rate than just breathing? And I, I think I understand it, but I want to hear your explanation. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not going to go into that because I've gone into that with you. You know, the oxygen in the air, now, unless you're unless you're at high altitudes, you right. know, really high altitudes, you're, 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 the oxygen in the air is, is going to uh, replace you as well as, you know, taking a, taking puff out of a can that has oxygen. Out of a canister, right? Yeah, out of a canister. But, you know, but, you know, to kind of tell the story, I'll tell the story about, you know, you know, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, barriers. First of all, Barry, you struggled more following me up the mountain on a, on a mountain bike than down the mountain. Okay. That's because um, I'm 230 pounds, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's because that's because you have some another excuse too. What an excuse you want? You have asthma. I, I, and, I, was and I live in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so the story goes, Craig. You 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 know this story, but the story goes that you know I can I convinced Barry that hey we have a uh, we have a mountain bike ride that goes up the backside of Mount Lemon, which is is which is just north of Tucson where I live, and that going up the backside of Mount Lemon and the, and the top of Mount Lemon is is about uh, is is about eight thousand feet, 
and the, the the base where you start down in Tucson is about 2,300 feet. So there's a mountain bike race up the backside of Mount Lemmon. It's more of a ride than a race, you know, depends what you do with it. But um, it's up the backside and it's a gravel ride. And so Barry decides to try to have him come out to, um, to you know, to race. And it's in February. It's in, uh, you know, it's in, um, it's in uh, October, October, November. October, yeah. Yeah, it's in October, November. It's in October. And uh, so... Barry trains for it a little bit, but you know, being in Cleveland, Barry comes to do this race up the backside of Mount Lemon, which is we hit the race he was doing. There was there's there's 30 at the year we did it where there were two races. There was a, a 35 mile race and a, a 40, 45 mile 50. race. Yeah, 40 45. Yeah. yeah, 40 and 50, 40 and 50. Okay, 40 and 50. Yeah. And um, so Barry's doing the 40 and I'm doing the 50. And the 50 is just an extra five miles up the, the very peak of the mountain and then come back down and then you meet back up with the other people who are doing the, the 40 miler so barry comes in and says yeah you know i did some i was doing some hill repeats um up the parking garage at my apartment at my condo complex i live in to get some elevation so his elevation was riding up the ramps into the parking garage that you know because he is in cleveland it's kind of flat and so he comes out in in october to do a to do a race where he's going to climb I think I think you look, the race you did was probably about three thousand feet, four thousand feet climb, yeah. Yeah, somewhere right. in there. Yeah. And the race that, that I think I did the one that was kind of like five thousand feet. Um, and so I'm cruising down, and and I, and I I I ride with him for a little while, then I cruise up the mountain. I go the rest of the way up my extra ten miles up, or five miles up and five miles down. And then we're coming around kind of the back loop around the mountain. We're on we're on the basically there's a stretch you have to go down the, the on the side of the road. So I'm riding down the, I'm riding down my, the edge of the road and I see a guy riding in the middle of the road and just kind of wobbling a little bit down the middle of the road. I'm like, who is the idiot? The, the road and cars are just sw swinging around him on this desert. So it's a desert road back in kind of backside of the mountains and in the desert and swinging around him. They're not beeping at him or anything. He's just riding down the middle of the lane. And, and I'm like, who is this idiot riding down the middle of the lane? And I catch up to him and it's good old Barry. Barry's <laughs> riding down the middle of the road, thinking the road's closed because he's hallucinating after he, after he did his ride. He doesn't have any water left. He has no nutrition left. So I think I give him the rest of my water bottle. I give him some I snacks I had. You threw a bunch of jelly beans at me though, dude. I had <laughs> jelly true. beans. And the funniest part, Randy, is when you came up behind me and started yelling at me like, what the F are you doing in the middle of the road? And then I, I'm sitting there basically pushing one leg down at a time. And I look at my speedometer, I'm going 1.8 miles an hour down the middle of the road. 1.8. I can walk faster, Randy. <laughs> Literally, you walk faster. But yeah. I tell you, I refused to quit, did I, man? No, you made it. You, you, you made it to the end. And then when you made it to the end, you fell over. <laughs> and you started going to full body cramps <laughs> yeah, and we and we were in the beer garden which was sitting in my family and and I, we were with a gal who was who was a, who was a doc who i worked with at the time and and she was phenomenal she won her she won her division she actually won it and yeah. she had she did like she did the 50 i think she's finished about an hour and a half ahead of barry who did 10 miles less than her <laughs> um you know it, which she actually won the race and um, and we sat and we were sat in the beer garden. He fell over, started cramping, and kind of went in full body cramps. And they kind of the the EMTs who were there, they were taking care of him, giving fluids. And we were we were kind of laughing. And I think somebody like tossing a beer at him, saying, "Come on, Barry, have a beer. Oh, you feel that better." Was you, Randy, that was not somebody. It was you. No, I, I wouldn't have done that. Saying, drink a beer. And and these nice nice 
doctors, ATs, PTs, they're feeding me apple juice and water. And you're sitting there, call me all kinds of names, drink a beer, let's go. Well, <laughs> no, I was I was kind of I was kind of laughing at you. That's no, I mean, but... cool, man. I, it makes me better, bud. That's why I love you. I'm just happy to get the real stories as opposed to these these um, amazing feats of accomplishment I hear all the time, like that come back and how I matters, Craig. And I, I, you know, powered yeah. up it and then powered it down it, and it's great to get the real story. Yeah. Well, hey. you know, by the way, I went back for a second uh, pounding and did the fifty, and then Randy ended up doing the sixty that year, didn't you, Randy? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, that was so. This is one of the greatest stories ever. And then we're going to jump to another subject here. But uh, I walk into your training room on a Friday afternoon, and you're hunched over. I'm like, Randy, what, what's going on? And I come all the way out to Arizona just for this 50. I'm going to do the 50 this year. I was in a little better shape or a little better prepared, I should say. Maybe not in better shape, but better prepared. And um, you're hunched over and wincing. And I'm like, what's wrong, man? And you're like, oh, I think I broke a couple ribs. And I go, how the heck did you do that? You're like, oh, well, I was, um, I was, I was practicing riding on a curb and a fixie, which doesn't, for the audience, doesn't go backwards, right? There's, the pedals don't go backwards. On a fixie. I'm riding on a curb and there was a mailbox and I went to turn and went off the curb and my pedal caught, went over the handlebars. I think I broke a couple ribs. I'm like, Oh my God, are you going to ride with me? Number one, because I'm like, I don't want to do this by myself because you know, I'm not in shape to do this and you're a motivator. And number two, I'm like, why the hell would you be riding on a curb? And you go, Oh, we'd ride across logs and trees and all kinds of stuff. So I'm practicing. Randy, I give you credit, buddy. I've never seen somebody in my life with a couple broken ribs. Go ahead. And and when we got to, when I got to the 50, the top of the 50, you kept going five more miles up uh, and over the top. And I think you did the 60 that year, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. It's it disappeared. Yeah. And I think you still beat me by a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, to your credit that, you know, even when you, even when you were hallucinating riding down the middle of the road, you still yeah. had probably about another eight miles to go, eight, yeah. eight nine miles, and you finished. And that's all that matters. You, you made matters, it through. Man. I'm not getting dequalified, you know, that's it. Exactly. I'm not doing it. I'll die before I don't finish, you know? No, but, yeah. no, but you're going to die. There's vultures circling over my head when I was going a mile an hour down the road. I thought I was dead. Yeah. Uh, but you, you, you picked up the pace. No, I, I, you know, listen, man, I'll, I'll get better every year, I hope. Yeah. Well, you know, to tell to tell another story, which we can go into kind of, if you talk about, you know, I always talk about, do, do some presentations on, you know, how the neural processing and how, right. and how yeah. your body, and how your body kicks, you know, how you understand, you have motor programs and you got to understand a motor program and what interferes with your ability to do something, you know, what is, what interferes with your ability to, you know, well, you know, well, why do you, why do you make a terrible golf shot when you've made that golf shot? a thousand times and do it right what interferes with that what interferes with your your you know your ability to, to process information and so i also like to tell a story about another another mountain bike ride you came out race you came out you do with me and we do we were doing a 24-hour mountain bike race and it's uh you know in and it was getting cold the, the temperature was dropping down it was in jets that one's in february yeah. um and at night it, 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 yeah, on the course that we, you know, Barry had like a 10 o'clock lap. And so he gets, he has, he has a lap that he's doing about 10 o'clock and, and his next lap would have been at like 2 a.m. at 2 a.m. or 2.30 a.m. So at 10 o'clock, he probably was dropping down into the forties. And by, by 2 a.m. it was going to be in the, it was going to be in the mid thirties, maybe low thirties. 
And so on Barry's 10 o'clock lap, he decides that in, in his mind, he's like, you know, I'm, I, I don't really want to go out for that cold lap. So he, he pulls over to the side of the road, takes a rock and smashes the derailleur on his bike. So his bike's broken. So he won't have to go out for that next that morning ride. Um, that's kind of facetious. He says he hit a rock on the side when he was going off. I think he said he jumped. He made a fancy jump. And when he came down, his, his, his rear wheel hit a rock. He a and he boulder. Broke his I, I, I went around a turn, down a drop off, and the boulder hit my derailleur, right? And it broke. It's okay. So, so he broke his derailleur, so he couldn't do his 2 a.m. ride. And so, so I decide, because I'm a heck of a guy, and we had two other guys on our team, I would just do two laps at uh, 2 a.m. And, and, you know, and at 2 a.m., the 2 a.m. lap is, you know, we would, I would do, the, I would do, a, do two laps, and that would be on the course for about three hours. And a lap is about an hour and a half. And so that would be 32 miles. So I was going to say, okay, I'll go do the – I'll go do the, you know, the yeah, you you know, three right. hour lap. Yeah. And so, but it's, it started getting, it was, it was pretty dark. It was cold. And so my foot was, my oh. foot was, my feet and the hands were frozen. And I'm coming around to the, the best part of the course where it's a bombing downhill and my foot pops out of my pedal, you know, you know, I have clip-ins and on the, I thought I broke my pedal because I, because I, because I could not get my clip to clip back in. And I, like Barry said, I ride a fixie every day to work. And so, I'm, I, you know, I probably, I probably ride, I don't know, what do I ride? I probably ride in a given year. I probably ride six, 7,000 miles a year on my bike. So, I mean, I put in a lot of miles. So, um, so, you know, I, I'm coming and I could not clip back in. And so I thought I broke, I broke my pedal. I broke my pedal. My foot was completely frozen numb. So I get into the, the little transition area and there, they have some heaters and I warm up my foot and I'm looking at my pedal. My pedal looks fine. And my pedal was able to clip right back in. And so that's, that's, a, that's a story I talk about what interferes with your ability to process information. It can be anything, right? It can be cold. My foot was, my, my toes were frozen and my foot was frozen. So I couldn't find the exact spot, right. proprioceptive wise, my body's awareness in space, where to find and clip my pedal exactly and to pop it in. And that's something I've probably done I don't know, a hundred thousand times in my life, click in and out of my pedals. So what you'll be very sorry, you're talking earlier about kind of following things along life. It's not only following degradation for, for, for permanent issues. It's also to find those little things and those little things that you can really improve somebody's quality of life by finding little things that you can actually fix. Right. And that's one thing you have to talk about Tracer. That's one thing we do Tracer with. I mean, you look for little changes and you try to challenge people. And this is what we have to do in life. And Jerry, you know, Barry just joked about me riding down the curb. Why would I ride down the curb? Well, if I don't ride down the curb and, and just kind of stay within a four inch gap on my bike, I'm not going to get better at staying within a four inch gap on my bike. The only way you do something is continue to challenge it. And as we get older, we know these things will degradate. Right. We know balance goes away. We know reaction time decreases. We, that's, that's, that's what happens as the, 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 the animals that we are. We will get degradation as we age, but you can prevent degradation by working it. So once you need to continue to work things and challenge yourself, so you need to continue to walk down a curb, right? walk on the edge of a curb. 
You know, and if you're walking and there's a little edge of a curb, walk within that line as you get older, because that keeps you in line to keep your balance. But when you do it, you're not looking at your feet to make sure you keep in line. You keep your head up because in life we keep our head up. Right. And we, we have our eye tracking and our, we constantly have our systems working together. Our vestibular system constantly works with our ocular motor system, which constantly, you know, you know, works with our vestibular spinal system. And we have to work those systems together and challenge them all the time so we don't get degradation as we get older. And so, so you have to work. You bring up some really, really great points. So what initially made you excited about Tracer and, and what, what do you foresee as the, the future, for example? Like what gets you excited about the potential future of, of Tracer or technology in general for that matter? Yeah, and also outside you know technology, and this is one of the strengths that Tracer has right now is it it you 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 need to understand that when we exercise young people, people post injury, and as we get older, okay, right. and because athletes do this all the time. Um, and this is how you train every great athlete is you have to incorporate cognitive processing of information, mm -hmm. motor program, encoding and pulling things out, right. um, a recognizing and challenging the system so you can become strong at reflexively doing something so it doesn't have to be a thought out process to do it. So and Tracer does that. You know, it's, it's walking, it's, right? Yeah, walking. Yeah, you have to be. You, you you have to walk. But when we walk, we have to learn to keep our head up and, and track our eyes. Right. right? And yeah. unfortunately, now you know. And you know what's what happens now is people walk down the street looking at their phones all the time and their heads down. And they trip and um, fall. Wonder why. Yeah. But but it's yeah. really that ability to sense, process, and execute, isn't it? Ultimately, the ability to see ocularly, and then process cognitively, and then move from a motor standpoint. And then, can you explain neuromechanics, by the way, a little bit, Randy? Yeah, you know, what that I look at it, you yeah. as an athletic, you know, trainer yeah. or a PT and how you work with athletes or what it might be to the general population as well. Sure. I, I look at the neuroprocessing of what we do is we do this. OK, we a, a stimuli occurs, occurs. We recognize that stimuli before we even start to process information of what we need to do with that stimuli. Our body already goes in our brain. I shouldn't say our, our body. Our brain already goes into a motor program that it knows that it's already done. It starts that before we even start to process the information. We start that motor program, okay? Once we get that motor program going, what we do is we, we our, our vestibular ocular system tracks our eyes, keeps our eyes stabilized on something. Our ocular motor system predicts the future because that's what our eyes do. Our eyes aren't telling us what's going on right now and giving that information to our brain. We cognitively think they're doing that, but it's not. Our ocular motor system is constantly giving information to our brain to predict the future. When you're driving down the road, your eyes are in front of you and they're predicting where the car in front of you is, are, you know, is going to be so you can change lanes to get out of the way. Right. Okay. Yeah, a, right. A, a, a great a baseball player doesn't steer ocular motor system isn't telling him where the ball is right now. It is, but what it's doing more important, it's telling them where the ball is going to be so they can reach their arm up the, their hand up there with their mitt and catch the ball. Exactly. You're predicting, you're not saying, Oh, the ball's there. I need to go there because by the time you do that, the ball's behind you. You're saying, Oh, the ball's there, but actually my ocular motor system selling my brain, 
I need to put my hand over here to catch the ball because that's where the ball is going to be. But we're doing that everything we do in life, right? We're right. predicting, we're seeing forward, we're predicting when we see when we see an edge dropping off of a curb, we're predicting that the, that, that how, 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 how far down that eight inch curb is or six inch curve. So our quadriceps can contract in our, you know, in, in our, yeah. in our yeah. hip can flex yeah. so we can bend down and make that step without, you know, with, yeah. with, without falling, without, without jamming our leg when we hit the ground. We're predicting, we're constantly predicting that. And so we're predicting the future and we're doing it why we have core stability. We're doing it why we have neck stability, which is the vestibular spinal and the vestibular colic reflexes. Right. We're doing that why we're doing, we're, we're doing all that why we have a constant open feedback loop that changes what we want to do. Oh, geez, it, it changed a little bit. So open feedback loop gives, you know, neuroreceptors, mechanoreceptors information back to the cerebellum. So it can change a little bit what we're doing. So it can adapt to some certain changes. Whoa, okay, that actually the curve wasn't the normal six inch step. It actually was only four. So I have to actually, you know, absorb a little more when I go down. So you're, you're constantly getting this open feedback loop. But we have to do that continuous when we're fatigued. We have to do it with, with autonomic nervous system regulation. We have to know with, which is our blood pressure and our heart rate and our pupil dilation, all those things that are autonomic. And you have to do it why we, and you have to have the endurance to do it again and again and again and again throughout the whole day. And we know that from all kinds of things we do. I mean, it, one of the things is, is we're talking about even predicting the future and driving and, and being fatigued. If anybody's ever driven in a snowstorm, when you drive in a snowstorm, you may take it an hour drive. And it's a normal hour drive. You drive from, you drive to, from home from work every day and it's a 45 right. minute drive. Well, right. it's snowing really hard on one of those days. When you get home, you are exhausted, exactly. right? Yeah. after driving a snowstorm why because actually you're you you have all this noise to pre your ocular motor system is used to predicting the future and looking where you're driving and where you're going you but it's completely being interfered with yeah interesting i didn't think you're about no, it's, there's so much noise going on you have to block out and ignore all those snowflakes in front of you and so what are you doing using so much more energy to, right. to pull out that motor program because you have to eliminate all the noise. Well, noise is everything we do in you life. You feel like um, Tracer's neuromechanical programming can assist with the training and potentially rehabilitation of certain ailments, for example, by using neuromechanics and by providing cognitive challenges with motor function? I think you have to do that. And you have to, you have to have neuroprocessing, thought processing, cognitive challenging. You're thinking of doing something else while you're doing exercise, because right. that's what we do in life. Okay. Right. And that's what really gives us the ability to be great, interactive, reactive animals. Right. You have to be able to, you have to be able to do two things at once. You have to have cognitive process information at the same time. So the physical activities that you're doing becomes a becomes a reflexive motor program exactly and, well, or you can, and you can constantly do you yeah. have feedback loops and take those feedback loops you have to add cognitive components to what you're doing so my my dad always said randy that it doesn't matter how fast you are in a 40 it doesn't matter matter how much you lift 225 pound bench press what matters your ability is to see process and execute or stop, start and change direction in a reactive environment, right? So, and it doesn't matter if you're a five-year-old or 105-year-old, to be honest, that's just important for fall prevention. 
as it is, I believe, for a pro athlete. But if you look, and he always brought up Gretzky as an example, Tom Brady as an example, uh, even Michael Jordan for that matter. But by the way, all great physiological athletes compared to the rest of the human species, but compared to their peers, they weren't necessarily the best physiological athletes. But he, he always believed it was their ability to process information, the ability to see and process information faster than the person next to him, regardless of the physiological component that allowed them to be one step ahead of the rest of the field. Is that a fair assessment or is, is there, I mean, there's a lot of intricacies there, but does that make sense? No, no, it makes, it makes great sense. And, and you would love to figure out, you know, truly figure out how to measure that, right? Um, right. And that's one of the things that, you know, that you, you, that Trazer is attempting to do, right? You're attempting to be able to measure, uh, yeah. measure that process. Right. Um, and, and, you know, that the, 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 the systems like, you know, Tracer that can actually measure cognitive processing, how quickly you can cognitively process information and move your body yeah. and move it as efficiently and move it as efficiently as you can and do that while you're measuring other variables so you can measure how you still process information when you're fatigued right. because because fatigue is the ultimate equalizer right, right. Um, so if you can continue to process information as quickly and move yourself as quickly as you could even though you have brain deficiencies yeah it, it will yeah it can then that, that's 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 that, that's the measurable well, I got to tell you, we were, out at the, um, we were at the second tier combine in Indy this past week, and they didn't have the NFL combine, as you know, but we we're out with the top 350 through, let's say, 500 kids. And there's a young man who was a wonderful guy from a really high-end school. I won't bring up the school, but really high-end school um, and really bright, 6'5", 315, defensive lineman. And Randy, you should have, it, it made me, it was like me standing next to you, buddy, as far as size comparison. <laughs> But no, but I'm standing next to this guy and I look like a peanut, you know, I'm like, this is not even human. And I'm 6'2", 230 and he's, he towers over me and he's shredded. He ran a 492 in the 40. He ran incredibly well. He had an incredible bench press. He got on Tracer and I was like, holy cow, this is exactly why um, he's not a top round draft pick because it, it, it's ability to react and process and then move laterally or in a reactive based fashion, Randy was it, it wasn't good right and I, I i felt bad but i feel like if we trained him in that type of environment that he could be one heck of a, a one heck of an nfl football player but he was missing like and that's his dream right but i feel like he's only trained in the sagittal plane he's only trained in pre-planned movements and that's not sport it's not life is it no no and you know or you know or he or he his or his brain doesn't process that way. He can't move that way anyway. Even if you try, oh, to, but right. but you would hope to be able to try to do that. And but sport trains that, right? That's what practice. That's what practicing football for years should be training, right? right? And yeah. that's what great. And that's what great coaches train. That's what great. You know. That's what you know. That's what that's what great athletic trainers do in rehab. That's what great, you know, strength and conditioning coaches work on, right? Yeah. Um, because right, you you, you and. And you have to measure somebody's weakness. Great, the best athletes I've ever been around don't ever worry about what they're good at. They don't practice what they're good at. They practice what they're not good at. So, and 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 it may be in it may be in nature of some of the people who are really good at some things are really fast and they're really strong bench press. Do you know what they do? They run straight ahead a lot more 
and they yeah. bench press a lot because they're successful and you they feel good when you're successful right? in something where the best athletes are out there is what you what you want to work on is what you're not good at. So if you're not good at balancing, you, you need to work at balancing. If you're not good at lateral movements, don't, but you're great straight ahead as you know, you work, work on, you work on lateral, yeah. work on what you're not good at. And exactly. then, and then hopefully you will get better at that, you know? Um, and well, you should get better at it. So, you know, we don't have much time left, but I wanted to bring this up and, we can't, neither one of us, it's kind of sad because our brains, but we can't remember how we actually met, but I have a, a feel that Dr. Wilkerson, Gary Wilkerson is the one that actually introduced us on the front end. Is that fair to say? Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yep. Gary introduced yep, Gary us. Did introduce us. Yes. Close friend of both of ours. Craig had a, a really great question. He said, how many uh, days could you spend with Gary in quarantine? Um, straight with just the two of you guys. <laughs> when it comes to conversation. <laughs> and I was laughing when he said that and because we both have like an, an enormous love for Gary, but he's so brilliant, isn't he? On the, on the especially the neuromechanical side. So yeah, Greg, Gary's what we days could you spend in a room with Gary in yeah. quarantine, buddy? Yeah, I get, <laughs> yeah, you know, Gary is, you know, Gary is one of the most intelligent people I know. Um, really? He fits yeah. up there with, he fits up there with Jules Rothstein about just, He's just, just their knowledge base, just, um, but you know, when Gary starts getting on a roll, I usually have to stop him and say, Gary, you, you just, you, you, you lost me. Yeah. You know, what's the saying? You had me at hello. I usually say, yeah. Gary, Gary, you lost me at hello. hello. <laughs> you went into, you went, you went into, you went into your, your, your explanation of something. And I, yeah, you, you, you completely I'm lost not, me. Well, see, and, this, and, is the, this is the, the funny part, Randy, is that, you almost kill me in these physiological activities, right? Mountain biking, snowboarding, skiing, whatever. And Gary almost kills me with driving my car when he pulls out a manila folder when we're driving from Chattanooga to Destin, for example, to see you with all of our, you know, with all these great guys. And he pulls out a manila folder with about 150 to 200 research papers thick, literally. And he's, show, he's teaching me statistics and teach me about neuromechanics when I'm driving. I said, Gary, do you want to get there alive or not? But Because if you do, stop hurting my brain. And again, it goes back to your serious statement in regards to all that additional input that literally it was destroying my brain, Randy, to the point where I was like, I might crash if you don't stop talking to me about this. Um, and, it, and by the way, I learned, I, I learned so much from him and from you. I'm not a scientist, though, as you know, and I'm not a clinician by trade. I'm blessed to spend a lot of time with you guys so I can pick a lot of it up. But wow, is he he's just he's really gifted on that um, neuromechanical side, isn't he? He's phenomenal. He's taught me so much. And I kind of I kind of I kind of the person that I believe that um, I'm not very smart, but I know really, really smart people That's and it. I listen to what they teach me. And I can dumb it down so I understand it well enough for my own dumb brain. And then my, my thought is, is I do a pretty good job of, of doing presentations of dumbing it down for other people I because I dumb it down for myself so I can understand it. That's a <laughs> genius, buddy, is to be able to simplify, right? And that's, you know, that's what we're doing with trades right now. We're simplifying the platform. We're simplifying the user interface, user experience, so that anybody can use it. You don't have to be you or Gary Wilkerson to be able to, right? Uh, and we want to make sure that the most amount of people get the most value out of the tech. 
But, um, hey, Randy, I don't, I don't want to keep you too much longer, buddy. I really appreciate it. Anything else you want to mention or bring up? I can talk to you all night, as you know. But that's Yeah. It. No, nope, nothing, nothing, nothing straightforward. I just want to know that, um, you know, it's, uh, I haven't specifically tried to kill you on any of our activities yet, yet we, I take you on, but. I know, um, I know it's not purposeful, Randy, but I, it just tends to happen when I try to hang with you, man. Yeah, well, but, but I will say that, um, you know, Craig keeps sliding me more money to try to take you out. I don't know what the deal is, but Craig keeps saying, Hey, yeah, Randy, why don't you invite him out to something? Why don't you invite him out somewhere else? Yeah, exactly. I'm sure. Hey, hey, Randy, you don't see me following you down that ski trail, do you? No, you don't. I will say this, and I've said this to everybody who's ever done anything with me. One thing you will never ever hear out of Randy's mouth is, Hey, follow me. Trust me, uh, you, you can follow me. I've never, ever said uh, that to anyone. You said follow me, but not trust me. I'll tell you. I've uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, one, and your daughter is no better, by the way. She she gets me in trouble, too. She's like, hey, Barry, it's okay. You'll be fine. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my yeah, my daughters can both out-ski me. Um, and my oldest daughter is actually getting close to being able to to out-mountain bike me. Not She's not oh. there yet, but she... She will be soon. She will be soon. Oh, but they, they can both out ski me, and yeah, and they 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 learn the hard way of how to ski when I've taken them on things, and they're like, "Well, I can't, you know, I don't think I can do this." And I'm like, I look at them and go, "Well, there's no other way down, so you're gonna have to figure out some way down." So. <laughs> well, I, I've heard I've heard the um, life lessons you've taught Audrey and uh, you know and Emily and such in the mountains and you know, sort of going off on your own mountain biking, you know, and coming back a couple hours later and there's hanging out <laughs> eight years old in the mountains. But that's a life lesson, right, Randy? It is. Think, it, listen, it is I'll like tell that. you what, the one thing I do know, buddy, you have two incredible daughters and there's a reason for that. And I think uh, your uh, your unique way of educating your, your, your kids has certainly paid off in a giant way. So I know that much, but... <laughs> But, yeah, yeah. Holy cow. I do have uh, good kids. And they're great. Yeah, I will say this. Really well, right? Yep. Yep. I will say this too is they've uh, learned, they've learned one, one thing they've learned from me is they don't trust very many people because they knew they couldn't trust me doing some things like that. So they always, they always, they always question everything because they don't know. Uh, they're like, yeah, I don't know if I can follow you because I don't know if I really want to trust you. So, which is, I don't think, such a bad thing in life. Well, they're certainly brighter than I am, right? Because I continue to fall you and I continue to hurt myself and uh, tumble down hills, head over heels, get altitude sickness, you know, hurt myself, you know, whatever it might be, but I, I still do it. But you make me better, buddy, so I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but on a serious note, Randy, hey, let's, um, we'll catch up after this, but I, I really appreciate you being on uh, more than you know. Um, and thank you for, uh, for joining us. One last question I do have for you is that, yeah, I, I know the audience wants to know about, and, you know, I hate bringing this subject up because I know it's been a tough year, but is everything starting to, are you starting to come out of the COVID type, uh, situation and how, how is it, is it still affecting you guys as an organization or are you guys, uh, pretty much overcome a lot of the challenges? You know, we're, we're, everything's starting to open up. Um, but I think one thing that we have to do, you know, here's, here's my diatribe. One thing we have to do is to not become complacent, right? right. We, know, we know how to prevent the transmission of this, this, this virus. It's, 
wear a mask, spend more time outside. Don't, don't be around anybody else who's sick, right? right? And keep some distance. And we have to remember that. I, I was on a call last night. There is a, there is a, there is a, this, this is still going on. We're still in a pandemic. There is an institution that in the last week had 65 positives. Holy cow. And it looks like it possibly could be the new variant, which is more, more, you know, oh, possibly wow. could be more contagious. And of the 65, it's the highest illness per ratio of positive they've had since the start of the pandemic. So of those 65 people, of those 65 people, almost all of them got sick. Really? It wasn't just positives that was surveillance testing positives. So we're not out of this yet. And so just, you know, and just keep wearing a mask to protect the person next to you. I mean, that's all we got to do. We can go back to normal activities. But there's no reason we go to normal activities and go back to old risk factors that you just don't have to take. You don't have to take, right? You so, don't have to take. There's yeah, nothing wrong with wearing, continuing to wear a mask and keeping distance from people. It's there's that you know why why would we don't 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 quit yet? We're we're getting close, but we're not we're not close to the finish line yet. You still got eight miles left on that bike. You better get some more nutrition in you and keep yourself and don't ride down the middle of the street. <laughs> Those are by far the most painful miles. Well, I, um, I, I really appreciate, like I said, and I can't wait to get out and actually do a little riding with you, whether it's in a race or whether it's just you and I, but um, thanks again, man. I really appreciate it.